the theme for the afternoon talk is the, the emptiness of mindfulness. So, a slight um, health warning here. Some parts of this may be rather difficult to follow. Do not be concerned if it flies right over your head. Do not be concerned if it only seems to be an intellectual <coughs> idea, metaphysical knowledge about. It may respond with memory and experience, which would be sweet. More important than over the head, in the head, or, in experience, or with experience, is the deeper. And the deeper than experience is a rather direct understanding. And it may be none of that. Never mind, there's another day. Okay, let me uh, start. Firstly, just a little reflection on yesterday evening's talk as it flows in uh, with this afternoon's. If I may say, I kind of smiled to myself um, with the title of the talk yesterday, The Dharma and Non-Duality, which is a duality to start off with. And it seemed to me, for the speaker, Niswala, it would be interesting to see how well this navigates the non-duality of this duality. I'll leave you to decide that. But let me just go back, if I may, uh, to around well, 30, 30 years uh, ago. Quite often, and still is today, a genuine and authentic sense for lots of people, particularly in the Buddhist tradition, of being on the path. The Buddha teaches the eightfold path. He does not teach the one-fold path called meditation. It's a broad exploration of which Meditation is a feature of it, in the mindfulness, in the samadhi, that clear, calm, depth of composure, and much, much more. And it's up to us to keep our expanse and exploration uh, as vast as the path. Today it might be called, if I had any influence in this world, the ninefold path. I've added one. With the listening over the years, quite a lot and confirmed here, as with all the previous uh, retreats, there can be issues arising about relationships to the other, sometimes the beloved other. And agitations and reactions from the memories, from the views, and 
harmonious integrated relationships take a, a lot of work and is quite often one of the major areas which arise in people's life and of course in your experience here you're thinking about a person or persons uh, in your life and maybe some struggle with all of that very human going back now 30 years so there's the exploration of the path as mentioned yesterday with the duality as it were the path and the goal and a number of people um, at that time before and after of course felt though much love of the path and the practice but really wanted to wanting to end that duality meaning understand the end of the path there and quite a few uh, 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 teachers both ordained monks and nuns and seniors in the lay community um, teach very well and very beautifully and what they're comfortable with is speaking about the path and all the aspects or number of aspects of it but sometimes very little is actually said about the fruit the, the completion the nirvana liberation waking up the understanding of um, emptiness, the expanse, the infinite, the liberation through love and much, much more. <clears throat> Sometimes it's <clears throat> simply not addressed, not brought into the Dharma hall. Quite often, now so 13 uh, years going back plus, <clears throat> people down are uh, and ask and speak to me about this uh, earlier and were there teachers in India who were in a way speaking about uh, a liberation here and now to put it like that that our extraordinary potential to, re to respond to the deep can bring about really significant immediate change and part of the teachings here as communicated regularly enough, most often on a daily basis, remarkable potential for the immediacy of the waking, waking up. To really free the being up of quite power sometimes, there's been profound insight, whatever. One beloved friend, Murray, Murray Feldman, who came to uh, myself, overland, to India, I think a few years after me, I came in 67 uh, there, and he, like myself too, spent quite a lot of time in India, I must say for myself, I did up a few weeks ago, it's around seven years altogether that I spent uh, here in India. and. And I would be asking around, and the generation of the Advaita teachers of the 1970s and 80s, most of them had passed on. Of course, Ramana, of course, and uh, Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj, and, uh, and others as well. And then he came, to the point here, uh, Mari that is, and 
he said to me uh, on the retreat, there is a teacher in Lucknow whose name is Punja, Punjaji. He really is worth listening to. But Punja and I had a little communication. And uh, so I, because of the retreats, and he was meeting people in his living room at that time, pretty well every day, morning satsang, lovely exchanges taking place. So he, he sent a message over. He says, please don't tell all those your sangha uh, there. Just send a few over, etc. So no, no problem. I won't send the whole gang over to uh, uh, see you. I'll just select the cream of the milk. Just what I said. So half a dozen people would go over uh, there, and then others came, and then leave the hall, uh, etc. And one of those precious uh, beings of uh, India, much loved, much respected, and uh, offering lovely teachings. Uh, he died a few years uh, later, in September of 1997. In fact, he died in the same week that uh, Princess Diane died. Uh, a big fan of her because she disrupted the royal establishment. I thought she was terrific. And um, also Mother Teresa, also who I had some lovely meetings with, lovely, lovely conversations with her, uh, and she also died in the same week as well. So kind of, to my mind, three jewels of the earth left this world in that, in that one, in the single week. How these things can be, and uh, some of us love the three of them. So then, coming back to the theme uh, there. There's a looking at mindfulness, there's looking at the world, looking at the relationship of mindfulness to the world, and perhaps something of mindfulness or consciousness can be discovered and realised when the world, that means the world of things, has a lower profile in consciousness. In these teachings, in the East, and in the best of religious uh, teachings, there is a real support for the importance of renunciation. Sanskrit word, sannyas, sannyas, to renounce, to give up. And it is sometimes viewed that in the renunciation of the material world, there's something ethical about it, it is a sign of one's commitment, it is a real letting go. And there's, you know, there's definitely some truth in it. But it can be seen as a virtue unto itself. Yeah? Just by doing that. <coughs> so, just to take two traditions 
is to make the point about the emptiness of mindfulness in a moment or two. There. So, in the Buddhist tradition, one becomes a monk or nun. So, one renounces uh, everything. One has to have, to be a, a monk, one has to have the agreement, if one is married, of one's wife. To take ordination, one can't take ordination if one has debts. And if there's the agreement, or the agreement of the parent, there, if one is uh, uh, younger, then one can enter into the uh, into this area of ordination and renunciation. And that renunciation leaves one essentially with eight items. So it's fairly minimalist. Two sets of robes, the begging bowl, the razor, uh, the water filter. Yeah. In other words, everything that one has in this world one can hold on a single hand. Of course, you know, monks accumulate, I accumulate, monks accumulate, but essentially there's the, that's the law uh, there. In the Hindu tradition, with the confirmation of the Guru here in India, one takes a single dip in the, the Ganga, the mother Ganga, the river, and there is the vow of renunciation in which one renounces family, land, all property, everything is renounced. It's gone. And the sannyasin, he or she, has given up everything of the material world. Both, you know, a little extreme, uh, some, might, some might think. For some, for some of us, it actually is quite a relief. And prior to that, for three years, I was carrying a backpack around which just weighed a few ki kilos and a cheap sleeping bag, and an uh, odd pair of socks and a flattened out toothbrush, or whatever. And it, just to have very, very little and minimal was rather sweet. For us, us in this hall here, uh, there, the renunciation will not be in that form, obviously, currently. But it is to give a much lower profile in thinking, doing, and acquiring in our life, not only because it's beneficial for the planet, because consumerism will bring about the death of the planet, not just for that, but in order that the being finds space which previously was occupied by materialism, which was pre previously occupied by having owning, pursuing, and getting. And previously, the heart and mind was occupied with the thoughts about. So the renunciation 
is to generate a space in which we live modestly, we take care with the material world there, so that it doesn't have a major impact on our life, not because only of the benefit, but it is honestly much easier if one has a higher vision than owning, possessing and going after. So easily, if without that, it's a kind of, it is a renunciation, it is a letting go uh, there, but I think there would be a vulnerability, possibly sooner or later, to think, oh, what have I given up? What have I let go of? And one's only got to hear that mantra from one's parents, what are you doing with your life, etc. Oh, my mother, you can't go on living on this, these, this dana, you know. Yeah. You, should, you should take out a private pension plan for your old age. My mother was telling me this, and I turned 65, it's too late for a pension plan. <laughs> Still said you should take out a pension. No, no, good trust, day by day, year by year. So, in the moderation of the material uh, world, make some space. So I have a small guideline for myself. If I buy an item of something, whatever that item uh, may be, I have a look through what I have and my wish is to endeavour to give something to the charity shop. So I'm not adding more, uh, things like that. One, one uh, uh, friend outside of the uh, underclothes, um, she said to me, I just have in the wardrobe a maximum of 30 items. From shoes, to clothes, to dress, to trousers, to coat, or whatever. Just keep there. And when she said that, of course, after a lovely oat latte in Tartness, I went home and then looked in my wardrobe, oh dear, gosh, I'm, I'm a very poor renunciate. I've <laughs> got too many items in my uh, wardrobe, I started pulling out, I don't need that, I don't need that. <laughs> Clearing a little space. So the space element is important in relationship to mindfulness of emptiness. So the material world has a place, of course it does. We may need to work to earn that, to keep us there. We appreciate the challenge and the exploration because it's a great pity these days, so often, uh, this kind of topic, which I'm speaking about right now, is not mentioned in spiritual life. Not mentioned even on, on retreats. Not mentioned in all of these psychology courses and all of these help courses, uh, etc. But so much anguish is in relationship to the things, to the money, to having, to not having there. So we're saying there is something precious and deep and more fulfilling and nourishing which the material world cannot ever give. And that journey is with, with regard to that, this journey is with regard to that. 
So then, I haven't forgotten the subject, I promise. Then one starts to look more carefully and mindfully, as we have been doing over the days, and we're looking, in a way, at, you might say, subject and object. This is, have to keep your eyes and ears open uh, here, but if you don't, never mind, enjoy the daydream. So, in the world that we live in, it could be conveniently divided, the thought does this, between the subject and the object. So, here I am, who is the subject, there you are, in this case, as the object, and the other way around. So, the subject gains access to the so-called world. There is no one world, by the, by, by the way. It's a, it's a human agreement, but it's a fiction. And in that relationship to what is there, it's formed, obviously, of the material and space. So I look right now, I see there is space in the room, and there is the material, living, human beings, which are an object, but also an object with the body, therefore it's a material. And the material and the space passes through here, and there may be a response to, uh, and the consciousness picks up the response. And even without using any words, in this case, there is an immediate recognition. Ah, a group of people sitting in the hall, quietly listening to a teaching. The short description. The sound passes through the space as well. Just as the colours of you pass through the space, the rhyme, so does the sound. And it lands, it's received with the consciousness. Smells, taste and touch engages in the same process. Here's the important thing. This, which this Walla is calling consciousness or mindfulness, I'm using them interchangeably at the moment, cannot be that. Understand? That is called a sight. Material, things, colours, forms, shape. So the consciousness or the mindfulness can't be a sight. I can't take the consciousness and put it out in front and say, oh, it's this shape, and it's this colour, and it looks like this, and it smells like this, and it sounds like this, and it tastes like this, and it touches like this. So, the world in which we engage, which is known through sight, sound, smells, taste and touch, the inner world in which we engage, we have a memory. Recently, two years ago, many years ago, we have thoughts about the future. 
and we're quite clear this is thoughts about the future we can experience a variety of states of mind there one person more than one said on the retreat once in the one-to-one I've been here for several days Christopher and I haven't had I hear all this about insight I haven't had a single insight since I I arrived and I said that's a great insight (laughs) into yourself another person comes said said, Christopher you can't imagine I am so confused I don't know what the hell I am doing but I'm just so confused what am I doing here how have I ended up in this this confusion is just too much I said to the person you sound remarkably clear about this. So, oh yes, I'm completely clear that I'm really confused. It's marvellous. What a remarkable expression of clarity. So that which we give attention to And that which sees what's happening, that which sees what's happening, cannot be that. Understand? It cannot be. A state of mind doesn't reveal a state of mind. It couldn't. It's a state of mind. It's an object of the interest. The consciousness, with some energy and some interest, we call it awareness, or we call it mindfulness, or we call it attention the mindfulness, the consciousness, the attention cannot be that which it looks at it's, here we go it's empty of it it has to be if it wasn't we wouldn't be able to see it or hear it or smell it so the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching requires that which is not in that of that. Therefore it's not a sight, not a sound, not a smell, not a taste, not a touch, not a memory, not a plan, not a mood. And that which is not that reveals that. It has to be that which is not that. It's empty of that. Meditate on it. Liberation's knocking on the door. In the human experience, And of the many questions which we uh, engage in Who am I? We explore that What does it mean to be human? We explore that What is clarity? We explore that 
What is it to be receptive to the deep? We explore that. What is it to know the emancipation? We explore that. What is the emptiness of sight, sound, smells, taste and touch? Which confirms sight, sound, smells, taste and touch, memory and thought and plan. We explore that. So the human being in our remarkable and uh, precious capacity there, to come back a little bit, is the, the importance of finding space. Pali word is rather lovely, so I'll sleep with akasha. To find akasha, to find, to find space. And when there is some loss of space, you know, the contracted state, the uh, intensity, the holding, the absolutism of the view, the traumatized situation. We, the sense of what we experience is, or, or whatever else it might be, some sense of lack of rhythm and flow. There's a sense inside of our being and a voice. It shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be contracted around fear. I shouldn't be. I needn't be contracted around my anger about what happened in the past. Or needn't be caught up and contracted around an addiction or a habit or a routine which is numbing me or whatever it might be. So there's a quiet, sometimes not so quiet, inner protest about being in a certain condition which feels finite, limited and contracted. It's something which we don't wish to support. And therefore, can we open that up? Can we change that? Can we emerge out of that? And each emergence out of that is liberating. It's liberating from. And these teachings are liberation from. They're also a liberation, a freedom to be, and they're also the freeing up is a freedom to act as well. If you or I just say, oh, I just feel stuck, I feel contracted around that, or around fear, or uh, anger, or mood, or too much thinking, or whatever it might be that, that you notice with the being. The general will not dissolve that. It can be repeated to yourself and your blessed therapist and your counsellor, God forbid, a meditation teacher, or whatever. To change something, the general is too big. 
And that requires the mindfulness, the meditations, the attention, and especially the attention to detail. The attention to detail. Because it's in the detail that it can be unfolded. To give you a kind of sideways example, my precious uh, uh, daughter, who I loved a bit, some of the lovely dana you, you give goes in that direction, I have to say. Single mum, four kids, age four to nineteen, very bright, very uh, uh, energetic, and she's also running this mindfulness support service. That's, she sort of just had to renounce sleep to get keep these things going. It's pretty true. I've stayed there uh, with a bless her. The energy is there for a very simple reason, by the way. My observation so far is that. She doesn't have resistance. She loves being a mum. She has to do quite a lot of negotiation with three different fathers. Uh, but she doesn't resist. She loves what she does. She doesn't resist. So the energy goes into the activity uh, there. And she still has time for, if you know what I'm saying, for love life and Saturday night out. And, uh, and the girlies, as, she's, uh, as the group of them call themselves, etc. Anyway, to the point. I gave the first workshop, people in public service, sitting around in a circle, about 30 of us, for two days. And she had this beautiful poster, made, really, really a nice poster, cost her £27, about five or six feet high, one of these plastic posters with a beautiful sunset, a new day sunrise, new day coming, www.mindfulnesssupportservice.org, uh, there which is intended for children, for families and for public health, people, etc. One little thing. It had been printed www.mindfulness support service and instead of being three S's it was four S's. So the website was misspelt. And on the flyers that the good people took home so you had, I, did, I just noticed the next day One little error in the detail, if typed in, is not going to find the website. One little detail. Remember this. So when it comes to an issue, whatever that might be about, as I remind myself, Hopefully you remind yourself and others. Without being obsessive about it, the attention to the detail 
is important. So let's say there is an issue with some problematic state of mind that goes with it. We're not seeing the emptiness of it. It is something. It's constructed. It's bonded together. It's held together. It's something. And it's standing out. So it has got separated from everything else. It's called my depression. My money issues. My health. My state of mind. So it's got separated from everything else. And the wish is to resolve it. But we're speaking or thinking or talking in the generality. And the generality will not dissolve. It does, doesn't, can't do that. But we can look at the detail. And we just need, back to the space, some interest to look at the detail of the situation there. Let's say it involves somebody else. Let's say we have been really hurt by the other, or really angry with the other, or whatever. Who is the person? What is the situation? What are the details of the situation? What is happening or actually happening? What are the words, if it's another, let's say, that the person is actually using there? What do I need to be clear about? Is it in some way or other, in any way, not intentionally, have I contributed to it as well? You didn't cause somebody else to be angry and blame you. You didn't cause somebody else to betray you. You didn't cause somebody else to hurt you. you that, that's a self-blame approach. It's unhealthy. But more, in some way, was I too trusting? Was I afraid to speak up? Did I think, oh, when the person apologised, that would show that there would be a change in the behaviour and then she or he would be different after that, rather than act with some people. Anger, wanting forgiveness, back to the anger, it's a horrible cycle, and many women and children and number of men are caught up in this. So we want to look very, very carefully at the situation. And we want to look very much with the, the quiet details of the situation uh, there. So we're not afraid to look at the facts of the situation. We might require the good support and kindness of the, another person as well. In order to look at it so carefully uh, and clearly as possible. So we begin to pinpoint all the things that brought this together which made it into something. That's all. And in looking at it more carefully there, that fullness of attention to that, it may be that just one small change makes a difference. A daughter took too many S's out of the website, so it got the right website. And that 
expiration uh, uh, of that, it it unpacks it because it's formed together, and the forming of it together gives it Dharma language here selfness. It gives the idea this is something there. But going into it quietly and deeply, looking at all the details, it starts to lose its somethingness, and one sees the emptiness of the idea it is something. It isn't. Couldn't be. But even you and I are something. Simply because the formation requires the space, it requires the diet, it requires the light, it requires the environment, it requires the history, and so forth. For this to form together, there's no something, nothing. It's like that. It's all the forming together. And our mindfulness is to really explore that so well that somewhere in the being, it's not easy to follow, I know, somewhere in the being, some understanding of this begins to come. So when we alight, that means onto that, and if we, whatever it might be, and we kind of open it out, then the emptiness of its self-existence shows itself. Because he didn't have it in the first place. Whatever, whatever. If something, quote-unquote, really had its self-existence, it would be unchangeable. And if it was unchangeable, it would be eternal. And we only have to look at our look in the mirror. We don't ask to grow old and have white hair, some hair, no hair, or whatever it, uh, uh, it, uh, it might be. We don't, don't ask I, I, it's not so long ago, it's only 30 years ago, when I was a monk, that's 40, 45 years ago, we didn't have a cushion, meditation cushion. Cushions in the monastery, and they'd never even seen them. Yeah. And the cushions would be for wimps. You know, well, where's your authority? Sitting on a cushion. So we just had the mats. And if one had been ordained, one had a little square piece of carpet. If one had been ordained for five years or more, senior monks in the front row, and the rest of us were sitting on the mat. And then I heard about these Japanese zafus. Gosh, Christmas had come early. And then there. So for 20 years, it was one cushion. I didn't ask the body to get older, didn't ask the environment to keep making an impact on the body moment by moment, day after day. And then when I got to around 50 or something, it went 
50 to 60, when from one cushion it's easier to have two cushions. You know, getting a bit higher, a little bit easier to move the legs, etc. May have noticed. I'm up to three. Three cushions are getting higher. I soon I won't need a bench to sit on. And it'll be like a pyramid of cushions, you know, etc. Borrowing your cushions to be able to stay up there. It, the impact, because it, there's a lack of self-existence. It's an interconnected dynamic that we are all living in, participating in. And therefore, the environmental life changes the condition of the body. <coughs> and we move through that process uh, there. And if we really understand, it's not self-existent about me, me, me getting older. Not like that. It's just that this gradual dynamic is going on. We have the capacity of the mindfulness to see that that is going on and the clarity understanding of that confirms that that which is going on and that which knows which is going on, but that which knows which is going on, does not age. How could it? How could it? It's not material. How could it age? So the, empty, the emptiness of what presents itself is recognizing honestly, truthfully, clearly as possible. Well, this process is going on. These changings are coming about. There is no self-existence in that, because that would mean it's independent of everything else. So there's no self-existence about it. That process is going on. And the absence of allows that to be revealed and it, therefore it is empty of what is looked at. And that, something really precious about it, and what's really precious is that we are intimately close with this changeable movement evolution of life, this movement, this process, this organic existence which is going on. And there's a recognition that the emptiness of the self-existence makes it all possible. The non-selfness of anything, anything you look at, dum, 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 anything you look at, and something extraordinary about it, but what is precious about it is how true it is. It's, I think I can confidently say, it is in the unarguable. Someone can argue, 
that there is something in this world with its own existence never ever affected by anything else show me it anything show me it and that extraordinary closeness with this and to see it so well and clearly where's the problem where's the problem in the non-selfness where's the problem in the vast expanse where's the problem in the uncontracted remarkable thing to be a human being you can engage with in a modest way with the the material world it has a, a place we can engage beautifully in the world of human relationships and all the wonder and the preciousness and the challenge of it all and extraordinarily enough there's a capacity to, capacity to embrace it all and when it's well embraced so is the brief presentation of birth movement through life to death it's not a problem it's interesting being a human isn't it quite an event we're engaged in let's have our quiet minute together shall we